Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to a special mix-up episode of T4C. If you're graduating this spring or next spring, or if you've recently graduated or know someone who's recently graduated and you or they aren't feeling passionately about what kind of job or industry to pursue, then you are in exactly the right place. Because this special mix-up episode features four recent college grads who've all discovered their passion and they also get into how they did it. But before I introduce you to them, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that features career insights, tips, and inspiration from professionals in dozens of industries. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guests today include Justin Wynn, a 2018 grad who at the time of our interview was a podcast host and entrepreneur. Kaylee Froci, a 2018 grad who at the time of our interview was an associate engineer at the Harley-Davidson Motor Company. Jerry Lee, a 2017 grad who at the time of our interview was the co-founder and chief operating officer of Juan Sulting. Eve Rosenbaum, a 2012 grad who, when we sat down to chat, was the manager of international scouting at the Houston Astros baseball team. And finally, David Rosenstein, a 2020 grad who at the time we chatted was a sales development representative, also known as SDR, with Bullseye Admissions, since acquired by College Advisor. Did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated? Not necessarily. I initially went into getting my finance degree because I wanted to kind of go on Wall Street. And I was in sort of virtual currency on this video game FIFA, I was doing really well. I, I knew how to trade. I knew the market and I could make like a million coins very simply. So I was like, oh, why don't I just do this in real life? But when I figured out like the work-life balance, the culture and everything like that, that wasn't necessarily the route that I wanted to go. And when I graduated with my finance degree, I had a job offer to do consulting, which is sort of that dream job offer coming out of college. But what I realized was I wanted to pursue Get Your Grind Up and Declassified College because I wanted to make an impact and that job will always be there essentially. So I'm not necessarily using any of my finance knowledge that I learned in school right now. But what I am using is that analytical mindset to be able to look at the data and come at 
content creation from a design perspective rather than just a creative perspective. So it's been really unique and that's what we use to create our new show, Declassified College. And I think that's why it's doing so well because we took a look at the information that we were given from our first podcast. We went out to the market to figure out what they actually wanted and we produced something that is fun to make on our end, but also our audience loves to listen to at the same time. There's so much in that answer, but one of the things that I want to emphasize here is that chances are you may not go into a field that relates directly back to your major. I'm obviously speaking to our young listeners. And so instead of thinking about your major as the tiny house that you're going to be forced to live in for the rest of your life, like Justin, see it as the foundation of a professional skyscraper that you're going to be building over the course of your professional life with each new job and each new career, adding a new floor to your skyscraper. I was a political science major and my minor was in Asian studies and Chinese. I never explicitly used my political science degree, but I lived in China. I was a journalist. I covered American foreign policy. I covered Capitol Hill. And then I went into public relations. And then I went into the nonprofit world. And at one point I was working in public affairs where I was using some of the political science degree. And now I'm an entrepreneur and a podcaster. So just as Justin, who was at the beginning of his journey as an entrepreneur and a podcaster and is tapping into some of the analytical skills and probably some of the courses that he took to create his business, the same thing's going to happen with you. And another thing, Justin, you changed your major when you transferred from the University of Tampa to UCF and you were majoring in athletic training. And that is actually super common. 75% of college students change their major. How did you feel about transferring at the time? Because one of the many things that I've learned from interviewing hundreds of people on T4C, Justin, is that just as your interests often evolve while you're in college, the same thing is going to happen to you in your professional life. Yeah. So sort of what went into my decision to change my major when I was in college was I, I went into the athletic training major and the athletic training program because I wanted to combine my love for sports and sort of my parents' dream of being a doctor. And I think a lot of students who played sports back in high school have a sort of similar mindset. I always like to joke around and say, if anyone played a sport in high school, they're one of two majors. They're either an athletic training major or they're going down the sports management route. And it's honestly pretty common. If I look at all of the friends that I played soccer with growing up, I would say like 70 to 80% of them fall within one of those two categories in terms of where they started in college. Mm -hmm. And I think, like you said, your interests sort of change over time. But I think you also get smarter and realize where the opportunities actually lie. For me, when I looked out at the athletic training market, if I wanted to actually make a solid living for myself, I had to go out and get a PhD probably to be able to have a chance at being a physical therapist or an athletic trainer for one of the top sports teams. And when I looked at that schooling and I looked at that timeline, I was like, that's just not for me. And also my freshman year, my roommate, we both played video games and we love playing FIFA. And on FIFA, as I mentioned earlier, there's sort of a stock market aspect to it. And that's when I learned how to trade 
from virtually zero coins all the way up to a million coins. And he's put me on to learning about finance. I had never even heard of the stock market before. And I didn't know anything about finance. So this is a whole completely new world. And I think that's sort of the beauty of college, especially if you get lucky and get a great roommate your freshman year, is you get these different perspectives of different individuals that have grown up in a way that you you didn't grow up in. And I think that's also why I try to have as many perspectives on the show too, on Declassified College, because someone else has been brought up in a different way and they can teach you a lesson that you've never even thought about. And I think that's super important, whether it's your roommate, whether it's listening to a show like mine or like yours, it's always great to get different perspectives. One of the many super impressive things that you've accomplished already, Justin, is that you landed four awesome internships at companies like Lockheed Martin, and I believe you had a 10-month-long college work experience program, the acronym is CWEP, at the Hartford Insurance Company, where you participated in a four-month early career leadership development program, that's a mouthful, and at Northwestern Mutual. How did you get those internships, especially the one at Lockheed Martin? Yeah. So what may be surprising to all your listeners is I didn't, I think for each of those, I didn't go through the traditional application process. And I'll walk through quickly how I got each internship. My first one was Northwestern Mutual. And the way that I got that one was I saw from a friend who I played soccer with my freshman year in high school. He was posting on his Instagram that like he was like the number one intern and he was graduating into a full-time role. And I just wanted to reach out to him and say, hey, you want to grab some ice cream and let's talk about what you're doing right now. And that's a quick little hack and a little cheat code for anyone listening is instead of asking for coffee, instead of asking for lunch or dinner, ask for ice cream. Because unless they're lactose intolerant, almost <laughs> no one says no to getting ice cream. So that's what we did. We grabbed some ice cream. And then one thing led to another. I was explaining to him how I was trying to apply to... 50 plus internships, wouldn't even get a call back. And he basically said, do you want an internship at Northwestern Mutual? And I was like, of course I do. I've been trying to find this my whole life. And Northwestern was like the number one finance internship at the time. So I didn't even have an application. I literally walked into the office because they set up the meeting. And in the meeting, they were like, this is just sort of a formality. Bilal recommended you. So he comes, he's like the number one producer in the firm right now. So if he trusts you, we trust you. And we just want to have this interview so that we can learn a little bit more about you, essentially. And I passed my test, got to do the internship, all dandy there. The next internship was the Lockheed one. And at Lockheed, I was having a really tough time trying to find another internship to follow up from my Northwestern one. And I would go into my career coach, which is sort of in the career resources department at my school. And I would go to him every single day, like every single week, essentially. And it got to the point where I had built up so much trust from him that he realized that he could put his name behind me. And he was like, you know what, Justin, I'm going to go directly to the director of the CWEP program at UCF and I'm going to make him hire you essentially. And he did just that. In about two or three weeks, I had two interviews with Lockheed Martin and I got one of the roles and then the rest is history. That's how I got that, that role. And the best thing about that is it was paid. And I was making like $15 an hour or something like that as a college student, which was amazing. And I didn't amazing. have... Amazing. 
yeah, it was great. And I didn't have to pay any taxes on it because I was technically a student worker. So I guess just how like the laws work, I didn't have to pay tax. I was only paying like 2% taxes. So I was actually making $15 an hour, which was great. It was amazing to uh, as a college student. And then my last internship with the Hartford, I got that by, I was scrolling through my student email and I saw an email from the multicultural center at my school. And I saw that they were having a career fair. I just went to it, didn't, didn't know much about it. And then I saw that the Hartford was there. And I believe that the only reason that I got that internship is because I connected the dots between my background of being from Connecticut and the Hartford being in Connecticut. And I told the recruiter saying, hey, I'm from Connecticut. I always try to find a way to get back with previous internships. I previously interned at Northwestern Mutual. Do you know if they have any internships available up there? And what ended up happening was I, I talked to this recruiter maybe in December. And typically by December, all of these internships are filled. And I think that they pretty much created this internship just for me because I was one of the last individuals to be confirmed for this, this internship program in Connecticut. So what I would suggest to anyone is when you're looking to get an internship, it's going to be almost impossible to just apply and get lucky that someone sees your resume. Any of the large companies, they're getting thousands, if not tens of thousands of resumes from students from across the world. The only way to get in is to find that champion on the inside, whether it's your career resource center, whether it's a recruiter that you meet at a career fair, whatever that may be, you need to find someone on the inside to push your resume forward. And that's how I got literally every single one of my internships. So that's sort of how you can work around. And I, I promise you, it's so much better instead of spending 20 hours applying to 100 internships and just getting rejected after rejection, it'll be much better to build a relationship using those 20 hours with that company that you really want to work for. Yeah, having the co-op made it so I knew exactly what I was doing, which took the stress off. I had zero stress my last year of college. I had a job lined up. I just got through classes. So I cannot, again, mention just how awesome co-ops are. So multidisciplinary engineering is... There aren't a ton of programs out there for it. Purdue has one that's growing very rapidly, as it should. It's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. It's ABET accredited just like any other engineering degree. But it's kind of, you go in and you have to take a certain amount of core classes. So you have to take statics and dynamics and a fluids class. But you can take these classes from the mechanical department or the aerospace department or the materials department or the agricultural department. So it's very much like you can mix and match the disciplines and conglomerate it into one degree. It's very interesting. You know, there are restrictions and there are certain requirements, but overall, just have fun with it. It sounds like you did. Maybe this is the time to ask you this question, Kaylee. I suppose I could have asked it while we were in your job portion of the interview. But what has it been like being a young woman in a field? And I'm guessing it was the same in your undergrad work, where there are very few women. Well, it's actually interesting because if you go to a college campus for engineering, you'll see, well, at least Purdue, I cannot speak for any other university, but there were a lot of women. There were some times where I was in all female project teams on engineering class design teams. Really? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think my freshman class, they threw out a statistic at some point, which was 
five, six years ago, but like they threw it out where there were 60% women at some point. Yeah. But in the field, I would say there are less. I also kind of saw a trend of like, once I got more into the mechanical engineering classes and sphere, there were a lot less women. So that could also change it a little bit. But, you know, I'm very fortunate to have worked at companies that don't make you feel different. You know, like here at Harley Davidson, we do have a lot of women engineers and I have never felt discriminated against or looked at or anything or uncomfortable. Yeah, most importantly. But at the same time, it is something where just kind of going through life and maybe meeting other engineers, maybe exploring other opportunities where there's just a little comments that people make where it's like, oh, oh, that mindset's still there. You know, like for a girl or just blatant surprise is always what kills me the most. That's the most passive of them. You know, if I'm a motorcycle engineer, right? There's this like, oh, are you sure? You know? And that's kind of, I think, still the problem that's out there. It must be very annoying. And yeah, it feels kind of condescending. Right. And so, you know, the, those people are out there. And those are other engineers who are at companies where women work and they have to deal with them. So I personally don't have to deal with them. But I know for a fact that the industry still isn't 50-50 on respect to especially younger women. Thanks for sharing that. I know that while you were at Purdue, you were involved in various extracurricular activities. We already talked about the Motorcycle Riders Club, basically, that you started. And you had other internships. But I'm curious, what of those activities, whether it's the clubs or part-time jobs or volunteer work or internships, do you think really helped you hone skills that in hindsight, you can see a value now today in your professional life? I would definitely say any team project-based club activity, etc. was incredibly important to not only my personal development, but also to recruiters. So my GPA didn't matter to anybody. I actually, so my GPA was okay. It was pretty good. <laughs> but 3.0. Yeah, it, it was pretty good, especially at Purdue. But I never put it on there before my final year of school. And recruiters never ask because you, know, you have a certain amount of project team experience to talk about or even other internships to talk about. There is no time left in an interview to talk about your GPA. And so I think my time on formula, my even going back to high school robotics, if we want to go way back when, you know, it really gives you something to talk about. It gives you real life experiences with people. So when did you have a conflict with a person? When did you take something and run with it? You know, just being able to answer those questions and build time with talking about these kinds of things is incredibly, incredibly important. I think those real life experiences are super useful and relevant for sure. So Keely, what insights can you share with our young listeners, especially those who may be graduating in May of 2020, as to how they can integrate their interests the way that you have and their passions maybe into their professional lives? I think that it's really important to try to explore what you think you want first, right? Because what you think you want might not be what you actually want. But at least exploring it and kind of thinking critically on, well, what would make me interested there or doing this and kind of following that, right? Because the most important thing is not what sounds cool or anything. It's more 
what can I dive deep in and not get bored of? I know you teach this at One Sulting, but just a couple of tidbits on the resume side and on the interviewing side that our young listeners could put into practice. Absolutely. So one is making sure that you have a resume template that is legible and is sort of a quote unquote boring resume template, unless you're trying to go into design. The reason why you want to have a sort of boring template is because on average, recruiters will spend about six seconds on your resume. So you want to make sure none of those seconds are trying to are spent the recruiter trying to figure out where information is. You want it to be easily digestible as possible. Tip number two, make sure that your bullet points have numbers in them. And when I say numbers, it means don't have a bullet point that says create an event with another team or with another organization. Rather say created a technology industry spotlight event where we collaborated with six technology companies and this brought in 150 attendees. You might have done the same thing, but you're selling yourself in the second. And last thing about resumes is one of the hacks that we try and teach is look through a job description that you are so passionate about. And you're like, this is the role that I want. Then look at your resume. If the response, if the bullet points on the responsibility section don't line up to the bullet points on your resume, then that should tell yourself one of two things. One, maybe you're not focusing on the right experiences or two, you need to go out and make those experiences and experiences don't always have to be internships, projects, classwork, even just starting a t-shirt business because you just want to know how accounting works. All that stuff is fair game. Yeah. Those side hustles are key. Tell us about the internship. Was this a summer internship or was it during the school year? So this Google internship was a 12 week program in the summer where you worked full time and you were integrated into a team. So the team that I was integrated in was Trust and Safety AdWords, where we specifically focused on how do we use machine learning and AI to find bad actors in the platform. So my internship consisted of two main skills that I learned. One is heavy data analytics, really digging through data, trying to find insights there. And the second is really project management. I got the opportunity to work across three countries, across four teams. And so you needed to make sure your ducks were in line because there were always so many moving pieces. I want to ask you in a second how you parlayed that internship to get the full-time gig when you graduated. But before I do, can you talk about the letter that you wrote Google that you believe helped you land that internship in the first place? You know, it's so funny because I wish I had a sexy story. I wish I could say, you know, I taught, I reached out to six recruiters and I got three referrals and the VP knew me, absolutely nothing. I remember the only thing I submitted was my resume and cover letter. And I believe they asked you a, a short form question of what is your favorite Google product? And I, and I remember I wrote Google Calendar because I managed my life with it. I wrote that because I was like, I have no chance. At the time I felt like I had no chance of getting in. And as I look back on it and as I was talking to the other interns in the cohort, the main thing that people had throughout 
the the hundreds one schools that were represented in our intern class two things one each and every single one of them were leaders on their campus so they were running their consulting organization they were running their tech organization they were running their volunteer organization and the second and most important thing i found is that every single one of them had spent so much time and effort into their jobs or strategy their resume their interview their uh, application so much time spending on it that when you looked at our resume side by side you'll almost think wow these things are sort of identical wow so you don't think what you put in your letter made a difference to be honest i don't think it did i think the biggest thing was just my resume <laughs> okay <laughs> the reason i was asking is that you have that as one of your featured items on your LinkedIn page. And when I tried to read it, it's like making me subscribe to Business Insider. And so I wasn't able to read the article. I thought maybe there was something in there. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So I think sometimes we don't talk enough about what we do to set ourselves apart while we're in an internship. I am guessing, Jerry, that you went above and beyond during the summer, those 12 weeks that you spent at Google. Can you give us a little window into how you set yourself apart? There were three things that I did very intentionally that I felt like sort of helped me put myself in a better position to get a full-time offer. The first is I very, very, from the very beginning, outlined exactly what are my expectations for this role? Is it to just deliver this project? Is it to do other things? Like what manager, please tell me what the success looked like. And he said, you know what? We're going to have a 12 week project. If you can kill it in that project, you're going to be good. And so I said, cool. Then I, what I did after that was I created a project plan to say, for me to get to this end goal of this 12 week project, this is what it's going to look like week by week. This is what our check-ins are going to look like. And at these check-ins, this is, I hope to get a lot of your input so that I can make sure I can land that goal. Who are you talking to? My manager at the time. Oh, okay. Got it. That's right. The second thing that I did was during this 12 weeks, I very intentionally made sure I became acquaintances, if not friends with everyone on the team. I want to make sure that not only they believe, yeah, Jerry can do the work, but also he is someone that I could see myself working with and I would be excited to work with him. So I would set up time to do team lunches, individual lunches. More importantly, one thing that I did was I created a spreadsheet of every person's um, name on my team. And then every time they said something about themselves that was sort of unique, I would write that, write it down on a spreadsheet so that I would never forget. And I made sure each and every single one of those people, I at least sent them an article, a picture, a recommendation of something that they liked, just as sort of like a courtesy thing, at least once. And the last thing I did was I made sure that I told my intern recruiter, my manager, and my team that I wanted to come back, that I was excited to come back, that the work was exciting. And you know, it sort of might be, most people might think, well, I'm I'm doing this internship. I mean, it's sort of implied, right? You know, being as 100% clear that there is no doubt in their mind that I would come back if they gave me that offer is something I did not want them to even 
have a single question about. So those are the three things that I tried to do. I studied psychology in college and a lot of people ask me all the time, they go, how did you study psychology and then get into baseball? And it makes no sense to these people. So I have to say no to this question because I, I studied psychology and I work with a lot of people who studied psychology. I work with people who studied history, government, people who studied more of the liberal arts background. But then I also work with a lot of people who studied economics and business and physics and math and statistics and computer science. So there are definitely some majors that you learn more practical skills, but really, I think you can study anything in college. And if you have enough other things going for you, which we can get into later, you can get into the sports field with no problem. Great. What about a graduate school degree? And I know you don't have one at this point. In order to succeed in your field, and I guess it depends on your definition of what success looks like, but if you really want to get high up in the ranks of, you know, whether it's Major League Baseball or NFL or whatever it is, how important do you think it is to have a grad degree? So this is something I think about a lot and I have sort of a mixed opinion about it because I at first wanted to go back and get a business school degree. I took the GMAT, I applied to some business school programs, and then I actually decided that there was so much for me to learn within my field, within baseball, that it wasn't going to benefit me to go back and get an MBA. It was going to benefit me to just throw myself even more into my work. Now, at the same time, there are lots of executives who have MBAs. There are lots of executives who have JDs. I also work with a lot of people who have graduate degrees in math and physics and neuroscience. So for this, I really think it depends on the specific person who's considering going back to school and their specific role. And I would recommend doing a lot of thinking about what you would gain going back to get a graduate degree and how far that degree would get you when you came back into the industry, as opposed to just throwing yourself into the industry, maybe taking some online classes, finding some good mentors, and just figure out which one's going to get you further. I can't say I'm a marketing student and doors will go, wow, let, let us open for you. Let's, let's, you can have any job you want. I, I very quickly realized that I was one of thousands of students across the country. And so for me, the first thing that I did to really try and stand out was take advantage of any leadership opportunity that was presented. Now, here's the thing. I want to make very clear that I didn't do every single conference application that I could. I wasn't applying to join every single club or leadership position that was available. I was really, really, really selective. And something that people will say, they'll look at my profile and go, oh my gosh, you did so many things when you were on campus. But the reality is I only did one thing at a time. And I was very clear around, I'm going to do this one thing and I'm going to try and do it very well. And then before I move on to my next activity, I want to figure out what it is about my last job that I liked and what it is about my last role that I didn't like before picking an organization or a space that I can really thrive in. So for me, it's very easy to look at my LinkedIn profile and say, you know, David has always known he wanted to do marketing, but I'm not in marketing anymore. I'm really in sales. And the reality is that my pivot was so intentional and clear, but it wasn't something that looked really drastic because from day one and from the get-go, I was always very adamant around, I'm going to do things that provide me exceptional joy. 
And if they don't provide me joy, I'm going to leave them. <laughs> so the very first thing I did, I went to Maryland. I decided to join the VP of marketing of a club. No, no, I'm lying. The very first thing I did was I became a tour guide. I became a tour guide in my second week of being on campus. You can imagine how disappointed the families were when <laughs> they realized their tour guide was barely even a freshman. So that was... <laughs> oh, no. Was, were they really the, disappointed? I, you know, I have to say when I said I'm a freshman, I definitely got a couple of eye rolls. So it just meant I had to work that much harder to make my tours stand out and that much more exciting for families. But... Luckily, I realized from that, I love being in a role where I'm presenting and I love public speaking. And that was something I already knew, but it reinforced it. So as I joined this other role as VP of Marketing for SUSE, which was the business school student government, I quickly realized I love being on teams and leading teams. And then I decided to reinforce that a little deeper by saying, what would happen if I could be sort of at the top of an organization and drive the strategy and get to lead even more people than I was before. And it was just one thing after another that slowly helped me realize I love coaching people. I love managing people. And I love giving people the solutions that they need, which ultimately led me to realize sales is problem solving and career consulting is helping students reach their goals. So I got to take a bit and piece of every single thing that I did into the role that I have now. And I credit that to the clarity and conviction that I have for knowing my future right now. Incredible. I I think this is a wonderful learning moment. And I'm going to add in something that I got to experience from a guest whose Time for Coffee episode hasn't yet been released. It may have been released by the time this episode goes live. He's just an extraordinary person. His name is Steve Rimland. And what Steve's story, Steve started in the music industry. And Excuse me. As a music student, he went to Juilliard and then he went to college and went to a super music focused, very intense college and studied music theory and composition and all of these things and ended up going into the music industry. I'm going to fast forward to today. Today, he is a serial startup entrepreneur, very successful entrepreneur. And one of the things one of his music teachers taught him. He said, Steve, there are only 12 notes in music. There are only 12 notes. It's how you arrange them mm. that makes the music. So powerful. So powerful. And I think that applies to what you've done, David. Because even though you majored in marketing, even though you were focused... In marketing, in college, you're just rearranging the notes to go into sales. Ooh, that was so, I am, my hand is over my heart and I am like pursing my lips like. But this you, is that, going. That rang deep. <laughs> all right. But this is what's going to happen to our listeners. You're just going to be rearranging the notes. Another way of, of putting course. it is your hard skills, your technical skills, and your soft skills. You're not locked in. The way that I describe this is your major is not the tiny house that you're going to be forced to live in for the rest <laughs> of your life. It, life. It is the foundation of a professional skyscraper that you're building with each new job and each new career. Adding a new floor in the skyscraper and look at what David is doing. I think that is so clear. And 
so many students feel so locked in to their majors. And frankly, it's not always their fault. I mean, I think about the people that I was exposed to, the, the finance students of the world. Heck, they have to come up with their jobs and sign offers over a year in advance for internships and job positions. And that's crazy. And so there's so much pressure to get it right and get it right early. But the reality is, and I think you just embodied this so clearly with your metaphor, it's not too late to change ever. But it takes courage. And if you are willing to seek that out and say, you know what, I'm going to put a pause on this direction that I have now, not to completely pivot, but just to explore that takes courage and know that there are people applauding you for even considering it. Oh my God. A hundred percent. This is it. This is it. My friends, we are all afraid. We are all afraid. I've been in four industries and I've pivoted and I've done it. You know, it is scary. It is scary. But that is where the joy is. That is where the greatest learning is. And that is where you are able to discover what lights you up. What lights you up? Lean into what you're afraid to do. David, I want to talk a little bit about some of the internships that you had. One at Scholastic as a sales and marketing intern. I believe at Scholastic you worked under the umbrella of Scholastic, but you work for Trade Klutz, which is such a great name. Another at HelloFresh US as a student consultant. And then lastly, at LinkedIn as a global sales intern. How did you get these internships? Yeah, it, it's really, really a wonderful story for each of them. And the reality is, before I got the job at LinkedIn, HelloFresh wasn't even on my resume. The only thing that I had there was Scholastic. And I think sometimes when I speak with students, there's this boundary of if I want to get an internship at this insane, insane company that feels like such a stretch away, whether for me, that was LinkedIn, for you, it might be the FBI, or maybe a research lab that's incredibly competitive. You may think that you have to have the most outstanding, outstanding experience on your resume. And you may think that someone who has 10 other internships that show that they're way more qualified means that they're going to get it over you. But that just wasn't the case with me. So Scholastic, I was really lucky because I knew I was looking on LinkedIn and I realized that I knew someone who knew someone who one of our really good family friends worked in a completely separate department at Scholastic. And so I asked him a little bit more about what it's like to work at the company that literally created my childhood. I mean, every single book fair. That was, that was my <laughs> entire elementary school. Yep. Yeah. And I got to ask him what the company looks like on the inside. He told me a bit about it and he let me speak with a couple of his teammates and then that was that. But then I ended up applying. I really hit it off with the recruiter. And one thing led to another. I spoke with the people at Trade Klutz, who are probably some of the most creative people I've ever met. And when I was speaking with them, it just became a really natural fit. So through the story with Scholastic, I was looking. It was March of my sophomore year. I had no internship. And so the first thing that I did was I asked, you know, who 
who do I know who is at a company that I may even be remotely interested in? I wasn't asking for a job, but I simply asked, and I think, Andrea, you always talk about this. I didn't call him and ask, can I have an internship? But I asked him, I just said, hey, I want to learn a little bit more about what life is like at Scholastic. And through the questions and through the conversation, doors ended up opening. But it was through that initial looking into who do I already know? And so that was how Scholastic existed. As soon as I signed my offer for Scholastic, I was very laser focused on landing LinkedIn the next summer. I was very, very goal oriented and I didn't know anyone at LinkedIn. And so what did I do? I cold messaged every single intern who had just announced that they were starting in around May and said, hey, congratulations on starting at LinkedIn. I'm just so excited to follow your summer journey. How did you find them? Sorry to interrupt, David, but how did you find those young people who had just signed on as interns? Good question. A a lot of people fail to realize that the LinkedIn search bar right up on top, it kind of operates like its own Google search engine within the LinkedIn ecosystem. So all I had to do was type in LinkedIn intern and I filtered present companies, people who work at LinkedIn. And sure enough, all of these people came up and a lot of them were software engineers. So I had to add marketing, sales, recruiting. And sure enough, a lot of different people appeared. And one person who responded, her name was Marin. She was incredibly talented and worked in inclusion recruiting. So I messaged her and said, hey, I'm just fascinated by what inclusion recruiting even is. Is it okay if one day after work, I just, I call you to learn more about how you're job functions. And we had the most wonderful conversation. And I realized after that, she said, yeah, our job is mostly on the back end of HR, really on the recruiting strategy. I don't speak with students. And I thought, huh, that is awesome. And nothing that I want to do for the rest of my life. (laughs) Because I made it very clear. I I said, look, the idea of recruiting excites me because I get to speak with people. And it doesn't sound like you do that in your job. So maybe you could help me as someone who does love speaking with people who would you recommend I speak with? And she said, oh, have you considered sales? And at that point, I really had it. But I said I'd be open to a conversation. That intro led me to the one person named Raza, who ended up being my champion throughout the whole interviewing process, gave me incredible perspective and ended up really cheering me on the entire way. So LinkedIn, one thing led to another. That was how I found that position and how that one intro turned into the job. And I'd be happy to talk about how the interview process went, but oh yeah. I know the Actually, last thing that you meant. Yeah. What I want you to talk about because you did post about this on LinkedIn or maybe it's on your no, it's on your website. Oh, I that know. You talk going. about <laughs> how you used creativity. I mean, you use creativity to connect with all those people, first of all, but how you also used creativity to land the internship at LinkedIn. Oh, yes. Well, this is probably the funniest story because I saw that the job posting became available. I wasn't expecting it. So rule of thumb, if you're speaking with someone who you know has internships, ask when they get posted because I wasn't ready. And one day I was on a bus coming back from a trip from New York. I saw that LinkedIn had posted their sales openings. I know for those tech companies, they may get 2000 people apply in one week. So I had to act quickly. So I created a resume from scratch that 
looked like the LinkedIn homepage. <laughs> I, I knew that I wanted to show that I'm really passionate about the product, about the company, and I want to go above and beyond. I was inspired by someone who applied to, I think, Twitter and Google and used either a Google homepage or a Twitter homepage as their resume. So I took a page out of that playbook. I made my resume that looked like a LinkedIn profile. I sent it to every person who I had developed a relationship with over the past four months. And fortunately, it got into the right eyes. And I actually got one recruiter reach out to me and say, you know, I worked at Disney and someone showed up to a career fair dressed as Cinderella. And this is up there with the most crazy things I've ever seen. <laughs> anyone do. <laughs> you were like, I will dress as a LinkedIn homepage. I don't care. Whatever it takes. Right? I will. That will be my Halloween costume. I'm committed. <laughs> I am smart. Let's do it. <laughs> oh my God. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.